This show is part of the Out of This World Entertainment on the Sci-Fi Podcast Network, tsfpn.com. Requiem of the Outcast 29, for March 2006. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We know you're out there. Rejects from society. Artists. Writers. Poets. Filmmakers. Get off the couch. Make something. The world is waiting to hear your voice. And so are we. We are the Requiem of the Outcast. Are you an outcast? Welcome back to Requiem of the Outcast, ladies and gentlemen. Just got done with StellarCon 2006. That's number 30 for the conventions. They've been around a while. They know how to do it right. And whew, they did it right. Normally, at a convention, I'm a panel whore. I love panels at conventions. I go to learn. Not so much with StellarCon. I forgot about more panels than I attended. Not that they were bad, but the people were awesomer. Okay, let's just stick with Airwolf. We'll go with Airwolf as the word du jour. I'm going to go ahead and give you a list, a breakdown, if you will, of all the things that I got to do and some topics that you'll find throughout. Things I did that were kick-ass. Did a sit-down interview that was far too short with Aaron Austin, Timothy Zahn, and Mike Stackpole. I got to watch the trailer for Aaron Austin's movie Deadbacks, which, guys, it looks great. Got to watch Timothy Zahn play as Grand Admiral Thrawn in a game of Star Wars miniatures. I had my bottomless cup set to fall down instead of calm down. Mmm, bottomless cup. And it glows. It's nothing better than traveling the hallways of a hotel at 3 o'clock in the morning and people are wondering whether it's the cup that's glowing or the drink in it. Aaron Alston also bought me a movie, and it's badass. It's called Undead. You can visit the website at undeadmovie.com. The movie has a hero that is almost as badass as Ash from Army of Darkness. We were able to get more people excited about the $20 film festival, which is coming up. And guess what? We also got it invited to a few more cons. Yeah. And I got the final cut of Always the Quiet Ones. That was the movie that kicked off the $20 film festival last year. And it was a movie where, after watching that, I didn't want to play mine because they weren't as good. This movie is freaking awesome. If you get a chance, make it to a convention where the $20 film festival is playing and watch it. Things I did that I want to do every time I'm at a con. Got to call out a guy at a party who ripped Mitch Hedberg's gimmick off and was using it to try to impress the ladies. Which uh, didn't work so much because I totally kept beating this guy to all of his punchlines and uh, knew more of the jokes than he knew. He thought everybody was laughing at him. but They were too busy laughing with Davey and I making fun of this jackass. I got to make jokes during the Star Wars panel and I ended up in a webcomic. Links will be in the show notes. And this time... I wasn't the one who had to go gay at the con. Okay, a little explanation. Every convention, there is some moment where I am put in a homosexual situation. I don't know why. At Con Carolina's last year, Frankenfurter ended up putting my head in his crotch, which was not so good. It was part of the show, but the one reason why I don't go to Rocky Horror too often. But this year, it got to be Davey. Ha ha ha! And finally, a shindig. And finally, I got to go to a shindig, a Firefly event. I've always wanted to go to one, which, of course, featured me leading karaoke of the Ballad of Mal and Hero of Canton after drinking far too many cups of Mutter's Milk. And I also got to talk to T. Morris and Timothy Zahn about the finer points of Firefly and Serenity Universe. Things I wanted to do, but naturally didn't find the time. Well, I didn't get to podcast with Merle Lafferty from Geekville Action Grip, Patrick McLean from The Shaunaki, and How to Succeed in Evil. Tony Ruggiero from Satanic Creatures Wanted, Humans Need Not Apply, and, of course, T. Morris, who is third in command of the podcast army. If you ever see J.D. Weicker, who is one of the founders of Game Mechanics, at a convention, 
Ask him to do Jimmy Stewart Goes to Coruscant. It's hilarious. He did it on the Star Wars panel, and I really wanted to record him doing it for you guys, but unfortunately, never found the time. And finally, attend a furry party. Okay. We did get to go to a party that we thought was one, but it turned out they weren't. But they were still really cool. It was one of those situations where, you know, you've got a chance to see something truly odd in your life. You'll probably never get another chance to see something like this. Though, you really don't want to, and after several warnings of brain floss, many of the other people who decided to bow out of our party when we decided to go down to it. But, you know, deep down, you always wonder how freaky that stuff is there. But alas, when we walked in the room, it was just a bunch of normal people looking around and talking, and they were actually pretty cool. Things I did, but wish I hadn't. Kiss Ringo's ass to get a signature for Davey, who apparently is heat with him. Now, there is a story behind that. Okay, I should probably tell the story. Now, Davey wanted a couple autographs for Mobicon's charity auction, so I grabbed a couple of freebie covers since I'm sure as hell isn't going to buy a book from the guy. Now, normally, Ringo isn't keen to give autographs on freebies. So, of course, to try to maybe work a little charm, I should know something about some of his books. So I grabbed Tony Ruggiero and said, hey, what's a Ringo title? And then he claimed, I don't know, Dragon Humpers of Xenos or whatever. So I, I'm waiting in line. My turn finally comes up, and I go up to the guy, and I'm like, oh, sir, you are the greatest. I would love Dragon Humpers from Xeno. It's truly, really, honestly, this is why God created trees, so that you could put pen and paper to write this book, or any book. So, now while I'm making all this crap up, he had already started to personalize one of the things, because I, I forgot I had my badge on, which, of course, it, it's useless for the auction, since most people named Rich are notoriously cheap and probably won't try to get an autograph from an author on a freebie sheet. So, I ask him not to personalize the next one. An eyebrow was raised. So I say, that's right, Ringo. I'm going to f***ing eBay a free promo sheet of your book. That's what I say in my head, okay? Now, out loud, I said, gosh, I was I was in such a hurry. I forgot to grab any books, and, and I'm all tapped out of money uh, since I, the last book that I bought, Billabub Battings, in the case of The Singing Sword, which, of course, is a great way to score points with this guy. Just mention another author, especially <laughs> Tim Morris. Well, he's still a little hesitant. So I say, this one is actually going for a charity auction at MobyCon. The eyebrow does not drop until I mention the poor Katrina victims. His signature will help. He finally signs it. I shake his hand and then go to cleanse myself. Because truly, since being in the presence of such an immense artist, uh, somebody who has truly reached the pinnacle of writing ability... I felt dirty. <laughs> anyway, this story is an honest, true story. Every word of it. Okay, actually, I, I, I did embellish a little bit. I, I, I didn't. I'm not saying I made anything up. I'm just. I just made it good. Now back to things I did that I wish I hadn't. I had to get rid of somebody else's deleted to protect the innocent. The innocent is in quotation marks. And you know who you are. And it's the last time I'll get rid of one of those for you. And next time I get rid of one of these, I'll make sure to knock on the door of Remy and Jack's. Pass it on down to you guys first. That's right, I'll watch out for you guys. That's, that's how I roll. Complaints about StellarCon? Well, please, for the sake of the children, toss the b that runs the art show. That little gothic wannabe chick that seems to delight in being oh so smarter than everyone else because the rules aren't posted anywhere and she knows what they are and so nobody else can. <sighs> Wayne Brady gonna have to choke a. Okay, now that I've got all the tension out of my system, how comes one of my favorite parts, the inside jokes of the con, that four of you will get. Data of Jarrell. Kneel before Zod! Tony Danza! And finally, superhero STDs. Actually, I think a few more of you will be familiar with that after Con Carolinas.
And now, a special treat, which is also most likely the reason why you guys are all here. I understand that. An interview recorded at the convention that was so much fun to do. I now present to you the three authors. Timothy Zahn, Aaron Austin, Michael Stackpole. Sure, sure. Yeah. Right, well, if you guys are ready. Sure. Rock and roll. We haven't started? <coughs> Not yet. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, those antics are gold. They're gold. <laughs> it feels like it's been forever. <laughs> well, when we first uh, interviewed these two gentlemen at uh, StellarCon uh, two years ago, we ended up just plugging it in, you know, just warming up, kind of just talking, and uh, I ended up cutting a lot of that and putting it in later on and just moved the intro to the beginning, you know? Sure, sure. And, uh, it gets us the ground for a lawsuit, doesn't it? Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Not an accurate recording. Actually, we got a lot of help from all the Monty Python quotes. We had people that actually said, how dare you, speaking <laughs> to true. these gods of Star Wars universe. I think that, that was the word that was used, too. Actually, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gods. <laughs> yes, uh, and they, they were just like, oh my god, you guys are talking about such trivial things as Monty Python and everything. And we're like, you know. We're, we're gods? Are we African or European? Yeah. <laughs> are you an athlete, God? Well, that's true, because then you'd be some kind of like, like spirit living in a rock or something, and you wouldn't want to be that. Depends on which belief. But yeah, I have an email from somebody even this last week who titled it, Some Call Him Tim. That's awesome. Nice. We want to welcome everybody back to Reckon with the Outcast. We're at uh, Stellar Con 2006. Wow. It's over 30, so and you can't trust it. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we are here with, of course, returning Aaron Austin, Timothy Zahn, and the new addition to the panel would be Mr. Michael Sackpole, who you have written, obviously, quite a few Star Wars novels as well as right. other ones. You want to give us a rundown on some of the ones you've done? Uh, let's see. First four X-Wing books, and then I Search Revenge, uh, I Jedi, and then uh, was it... Uh, Dark Tide, um, Onslaught, and Ruin. So. And a bunch of Star Wars comics as well. And a bunch of Star Wars comics, yeah, the X-Wing comics. Uh, yeah, so. Absolutely, and since the last time we spoke to you, Mr. Zahn, how many have you? Uh, I think just Survivor's, Survivor's Quest was out last time, and just Outbound Flight is the latest Star Wars edition. This one right here, I'm going to hold it up for the podcasting audience. <laughs> <laughs> There's a book, it's really there. <laughs> There's a ship on the front with, uh, you know... Yeah. The sound seeing tour of a book cover. That's right, yeah. It's dedicated to Mike, so I know he'll be pushing it a lot at conventions. That's right, yeah. Now, Aaron, have you done anything else in the Star Wars universe? Yes, I recently completed uh, the book one in the Legacy of the Force series, Betrayal, and uh, and have outlined the fourth book. There are three writers, and we're trading off, so I'm doing number one, number four, and number seven, and then uh, Karen Travis doing number two, number five, and number eight, and... Uh, and then um, uh, Troy Denning, the other three. Phenomenal. Well, yeah, we've pretty much covered a lot of Star Wars stuff in the past, so let's go ahead and go on to some of your uh, your other works outside of the Star Wars universe. Not like, you know, a lot of people don't realize some of the stuff that you guys have done. Uh, those of you who have websites understand how many things are up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dirty, I, looks, I, dirty I looks to Tim. Are you still websiteless? I'm websiteless, yes. Webblind. Webblind. But we can take care of that, because i got a friend. We just we just established a hosting company. Everybody has a friend who wants to website for it. But this is legitimate. And somebody's good designing it. He's the latest one, so tell me again about the legitimate part. Anybody who tells us is just blowing smoke up your butt. They're trying to get you to pay a lot of money. I didn't say anything about paying. Hey, listen, I know it's legitimate, because I've talked to Guido, and Guido tells me. Guido wasn't supposed to say nothing. <laughs> we'll take you to the hospital once your knees are broken later yeah, on. Right. <laughs> but, of course, uh, Aaron, uh, earlier you had a DVD on the table when you were signing. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Well, uh, I uh, had a, a breach of sanity a couple of years ago and wrote a, uh, a, a script for a low-budget horror movie. And when I was, comp- I was going to use it as a, as a writing sample. Uh, for Hollywood, and then looking at it afterwards, I said, you know, if I if I pair out the stuff that would cost the most money here, I could probably shoot this myself. Uh, that was that was that was the descent into insanity. Um, and so over the over the next several months, I bought a camera, a Canon XL2, which is a uh, which is a high grade prosumer level camera, and uh, put together a crew of um, of department heads for a uh, for a little movie production company. And uh, during the summer of uh, of last year, we we shot the movie. 
Uh, it's in post-production now. It's called Deadbacks. Um, we have a website, a very minimal at the moment website up called www.deadbacks.com, D-E-A-D-B-A-C-K-S. And it's uh, essentially, um, a, uh, it, it's not really a traditional horror movie in that it is actually a romantic drama with flesh-eating uh, ghouls. Uh, we, 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 we've been calling it. We've been calling it. Uh, we've been calling it the world's first zombie chick flick, or uh, or uh, Night of the Living Dead meets uh, meets Romeo and Juliet, and it's it's basically you know it's romance plus uh, eating people alive. Get the chicks, but don't bore the men. Exactly. In the theater, right. Love the zombie stuff. Now, about how long uh, before it'll be uh, available for release or for purchase? It's kind of hard to tell because with an ultra-low budget film, um, you know, with a studio, you can devote the resources necessary to defining when it's going to be ready. With a low budget film, that's not so easy. So we're in post-production now. We have to put together a rough cut. We have to do ADR, this additional dialogue recording to replace all the places where the uh, soundtrack is not working. Uh, have to put in the, uh, the special visual effects. Uh, I don't see it being, being ready anytime before, or, uh, late this year, uh, in the late, late, yeah, late, late 2006, and maybe a little after that. But um, but as it becomes closer and closer to being ready, we'll be you know touring it on um, on the, uh, the film festival circuits as as much as we can, um, you know, updating the website to uh, let people know what the status is and doing as much promotion as we can. As well, we'll definitely let the listeners know. Um as soon as we find out some more information about it. When the trailer comes out, we'll definitely put that in our feed so everybody can get that. Yeah, the trailer will be pretty soon. It's ready now, just we have to slap a copyright notice on it and make it, and distill it down to be small enough for people to download readily. Now, I have to uh, ask a question. Deadbacks, Mm -hmm. what what is the meaning of that word? Well, the the, the movie is about... um, Ghosts who return from the land of the dead uh, across the river Acheron, essentially instead of the river Rio Grande, and working as uh, as market workers in southern Texas. So it is in <laughs> fact a, uh, a, a direct reference to the to the pejorative term wetbacks. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have a good point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's designed to to spark a little bit of uh, of outrage there because it, it is pejorative. But on the other hand, it's 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 about the very exploitation that the, that that term refers to. Uh, Tim, you have a book. Uh, is it Night Train? Yes. It, how? When did that? When was that? Came out this last October. Okay. Can you and tell? Them? Space. Uh, it's basically a system of tunnels with trains going on inside, quadrille trains. Uh, you you stop. There, there's a station at basically every solar system that's inhabited. Um, you get on the train. You heads off into the tunnel. The train never hits higher than 60 miles an hour, which you can decide with accelerometers and such. But somehow when you reach your destination, it turns out you've been going a light year per minute. So you have these quadrille tubes and the trains linking all the civilized, all the uh, inhabited parts of the galaxy. Hmm. And they're run by these creatures called spiders, which are kind of a globe with seven legs. And uh, nobody knows quite what's inside them. And uh, if they're human, or if they're—I mean—if they're alien, organic, robot, whatever. And uh, my protagonist uh, start the story starts with him on his way to the quadrail from Earth, and someone comes up to him and dies at his feet with lots of bullet holes in him, and he's carrying, among other, basically all he's carrying is a quadrail ticket for a week away, with uh, Frank Compton's name on it. Frank Compton being my hero. He doesn't know why this guy was trying to deliver him a ticket, but he decides to go off on the train. Uh, he is a, an, an ex-government agent who was kind of kicked out in disgrace, um, and it turns out the spiders have a problem they want him to deal with. So it goes on from there. Um, my editor liked it enough that when we started trying to sell new books to, to him at, uh, at Tor Books, um, he was interested in more quadrail stories. So we're going to turn this thing into a series. I've got two more outlines ready to send in with probably three plus more books worth of idea of where I want to take the series after that. So um, I'm going to start a series again. Mostly I've been doing standalones, uh, but nobody wants standalones anymore. They want series. So we'll see how this goes. I guess everybody's looking for a marketable franchise. Well, there's that. I do have a young adult series of the Dragonbacks has nothing to do with uh, with errands. I think I have <laughs> <laughs> there dragons coming back, you know, from the dead. They're <laughs> <Ryan Parker's laughs> the crossing they're crossing a river and, and they're coming a, over. You know, <laughs> mine is because the dragons, the aliens that look like dragons, 
uh, every six hours have to go two-dimensional onto somebody's back, legs, and arms, a host. Turns out my human protagonist, Jack, can act as a host to Dracos. So um, we have uh, Jack and Dracos trying to prevent the upcoming genocide of Dracos' people. They're on their way in. There's an enemy here who shouldn't be in human space. And uh, the, the, uh, the Kada and their Shantine hosts are in in six months coming into an ambush. And we have to figure out how to stop the ambush. We've got six months. Each book is one month. So we've got uh, book four of that comes out in June. Awesome. Now, Mr. Stackpole, Mike, you are the newest one on the panel here, and obviously a lot of Star Wars stuff, but what do you have going on right now? I know that you're pushing TSFPN, which is the, sci- right. uh, the sci-fi podcast network. Sure, sure. And I've been doing, been doing a podcast called The Secrets, which is involved with um, how to write, and that's um, sort, of, it's, it's sort of an infomercial for a, a, a newsletter that I publish called The Secrets. Um, you know, at these conventions... Um, we tend to do a lot of talking to people who want to be writers, and there's a lot of misinformation, disinformation out there. And uh, so, I mean, Aaron and I have talked, all of us, all three of us have done panels in the past talking to writers, and so this is, this is part of that. Uh, writing is one of those professions that can be very depressing and very down, and especially if you listen to authors who are not very successful who will tell you, don't ever start in this, you know, and, it's, uh, and they're just very discouraging. And, and for those of us who actually make a living doing it, it's like, no. You know, I mean, imagine, imagine if, if you, uh, you said, you know, I'd like to build some shelves. And there was a crowd of guys around Home Depot that said, oh, no, you never want to do that. You know, you know, no, no, you'll smash your thumb. It won't be fun. It'll cost too much. They'll look horrible. You know, whereas you talk to carpenters and they say, shelves, piece of cake, man. You know, get some wood. Um, and so that's kind of that's what we're doing there. And then also with uh, TSFPN um, and uh, there's the uh, Poe Podcast Project where we've been getting people to read um, uh, Edgar Allan Poe stories uh, and uh, and you guys if you've got Poe stories that you would like to contribute basically you just you check out with me which stories we've got people think they're doing um, we've done six episodes of it now uh, so we have four stories that have been read by original by by people who are doing other podcasts uh, uh, Patrick McClain and Shanaki did one and Mer Lafferty did one and, and um, uh, I've done one and then we've got uh couple of old radio shows, uh, because those are in public domain, and so uh, we do those. And the Poe podcasts work out such that um, whoever's hosting that particular episode gives you a little bit of background about the story, puts it in context, and then you have the story also tells you a little bit about whoever's reading it. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. And um, uh, I'm also with uh, Brian Polito, who was with um, Chaos Comics. Uh, he and I did a screenplay for a movie, uh, and now we're working on... Uh, a 30-part, um, what will end up being a podcast serial, because uh, we decided that we wanted to explore doing some original drama stuff, and it's got zombies and, and things in it and things that explode and, and fun stuff. And it's really, it's having been a fan of old-time radio, uh, you know, going back through and, and having to learn how to do all the stuff that these guys were doing 50 years ago <laughs> is just is just so much fun, yeah. Yeah, we but, do it as well. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm still writing novels. I just did the first of uh, three novels set in the Conan universe. And I got a new fantasy novel, the second in my um, Age of Discovery series. Uh, it's called Cardamancy, and it comes out at the end of February. Uh, and The Secret Alice, which was the first, just came out in mass market paperback. And I have to do the third book in that set. And I've got to do a new... Um, uh, Mech Warrior slash Battletech novel on this next up on, on tap. So. Well, first of all, I wanted to say that uh, thank you very much for uh, introducing Requiem of the Outcast to the TSFN oh, sure. family. That meant a lot. I know we we absolutely marked out when we were, we read the emails online. Like, oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> we, we were yeah. completely jazzed. And um, one thing in the secrets that I noticed that you do is that you do not, you don't pussyfoot around. A lot of times you will call out other authors. Uh, on some of that thing, because I was wondering, have you had any uh, backlash on anything like that, and and how do you feel about really coming out and calling out other authors on on your on your show? Well, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, first of all, most of these guys are ignorant and and wouldn't know a podcast from you know a hole in the ground, so they're not going to be they're not going to be listening. I'm safe. <laughs> Actually, the authors that I call out don't have any friends. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very careful. I'm very careful who I pick up. Um, two, you know, I would, I would, because a lot of the remarks that I end up making or a lot of the examples that I end up using, 
Um, while I'm being critical of other authors, the, the criticism is not unfair. I mean, it's just it's just blatantly accurate. And the the difficulty you have, especially, and you know, I'll use a name right now, Tom Clancy. Okay, Tom Clancy is wildly successful. Okay, he writes brilliant technology stuff. He can deal with politics pretty well. But characterization is not one of his skills. Especially female. Especially yeah. female characterization. I, you know, as I've said in, in multiple said in multiple uh, seminars and stuff like that, if you were to call Tom Clancy's characters cardboard, you would be insulting cardboard. <laughs> and and, and, and the, the trick is this, and, and the reason why it's important to be able to point some of that stuff out is that we all learn to write by reading other authors. And so there are a lot of people who go out and they say, you know, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to look at uh, I'm going to look at Tom Clancy and I'm going to write just like Tom Clancy. Well, Tom Clancy sells because he's Tom Clancy. Um, if you turn in a book like Tom Clancy's books, you're not going to sell. I mean, one of the worst things that I ever hear said to me at at a convention, I'm sure you guys have as well, is somebody comes up and they says, "Oh, you know, I don't like the science fiction that's being published these days. I grew up reading Clark and I grew up reading Asimov, and that is exactly the sort of story that I'm going to write." And my response to them is, look, once you've written that novel, be sure to find the time machine to go back 35 years and sell it. <laughs> um, because that's not what today's audience is looking for. And, and one of the things that you know, we're all aware of, and it's very funny, when you get a bunch of authors together just sitting around um, you know, over dinner or something, um, aside from talking sports or talking you know, what movies have you seen lately, a lot of times we'll talk about the business and talk about the realities of the business. And... You know, the way the business is now is not the way it was 50 years ago or 30 years ago or even 20 years ago. You know, we're all constantly scrambling to, I mean, Tim in, in writing a YA series, a young adult series, it's brilliant. I mean, young adult is an expanding area. He's getting out there. He's getting readers to know his name, to, to read his books. And so as they grow up, and it's the same thing for Aaron and me with the X-Wing books especially, we tend to pick up a, pick up a lot of the younger readers and... You know, when we get a letter from a kid in sixth grade who says, you know, I've read your books, you're, you're, you know, you're my favorite author, um, you know, that kid, he's all 12 years old. You know he's going to read a lot of other people, but when he's 22 and he's on his first job and he's in an airport and he's got nothing to read and he walks into that airport bookshop, you know, Aaron, Tim, me, we'll be safe for him. And he will buy one of our books. We've got him forever. And seeing that, it's a business decision, literally. Aside from the fact that we love Star Wars, it's a business decision of saying, hey, look, this gets us out to you know this larger audience. Um, An underlying point to what Mike is saying is that uh, these days, more than in previous decades, you have to strategize your career. Yeah. You know, you have to you have to, to grow into niches as they pop open and jump out of them as they close. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a tricky business. Yeah, because things are always expanding and contracting. I started into the comic book series, uh, world just about the time it hit its peak and was contra- uh, collapsing again, and I've never gotten a foothold into there. Yep. You guys had a lot of the gaming stuff while mm-hmm. it was still going. I don't know if it's contract- contracting at all or not. Whole, all of science fiction is fantasy is what's really big yeah. these days, mm-hmm. so a lot of people are jumping jumping ship or those who could do both are doing it. You can see it really at the libraries because I actually work at a library and I'm Mm -hmm. always watching when people are checking out and stuff because I mean I'm I'm also a writer Mm -hmm. uh, but but it's like I'm watching people check out more young adult. It's like all the Star Wars stuff now they don't even classify it in the you know the in the normal like fiction anymore. It's all young adult or juvenile or, or you know they definitely and that's where the kids go. I mean and of all ages it's it's incredible. Well, you guys have, have written in quite a few different genres. Do you guys have a, a tough time kind of projecting what's going to be coming up? Obviously, with, with books, gaming, or comics, can you... Like you said, right now, fantasy is really big, mostly because of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, that huge wave. Are you guys able to kind of foresee it, or are books written so far in advance that you really can't ride that wave until almost it's passed? There's, there, are, there are fads, and there are evergreen areas. Okay. And fads are those areas that the moment you notice it's a fad, it's dead. <laughs> because two years' worth have been bought up by editors who figured out that this fad was there. And so that's coming down the pipeline, and, and it's pretty much over. This is why we're not writing disco novels, for example. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But evergreen areas, the epic fantasy area, Lord of the Rings type thing, has been an evergreen area. It always sells. Sometimes it sells more, and right now with 
George Martin and Robert Jordan. You know, it's really getting a big push, and the movies certainly helped it. But that's been a consistent area where you could always sell. Um, there's a, another evergreen area called, which I refer to as pet fantasy. But it's take any adolescent protagonist, male or female, have them have a psychic link with any animal, and this is very, very popular. You know, Dragonback is in essence, you know, pet science fiction. You know, because you have this symbiotic relationship between an alien and a human. And again, that becomes very popular. It's an evergreen area. So you can go into any of the bookstores. You can go into the library and you begin to look at the books that are perennially there in the categories that are perennially there. And if you're going to write and you like the stuff in an evergreen area and you decide you want to write one of those evergreen novels, that's great. I was at a convention once and a guy said that he went and did market research. It was in a, it was a panel. He was, he's got like four or five books out. And he was explaining, we, we were talking to all the people who wanted to be published, and I was like the senior guy on the panel. So I just kind of kept quiet as this guy said, he didn't think market research was of any value whatsoever because what he had done is he had looked at science fiction and he saw that there was nobody doing science fiction mysteries. And so he wrote some science fiction mysteries and they didn't sell. And, and when it came to me, I said, okay, this is the wrong application of, of market, market research. You know, there's a reason there are none out there. And it's not because <laughs> nobody else has thought of it. <laughs> it's because everybody else has seen that it doesn't sell. So, you know, you go out there, and as Aaron is saying, you know, now we do have, we have to strategize what we're doing. We have to pick our shots. One of the reasons that I agreed to do some novels in the Conan universe, aside from the fact that I love Robert Howard's work, was that there are more Conan readers than there are readers of my original fantasy. So I get to do something I love. I'm having a blast doing it. But I'm also aware that, you know, the guys who read those, when there isn't a new Conan book that comes out, Ch chances are they're going to come over and read my stuff. So, you know, you got to do it. Yeah, we just got that in the library. I was like, oh, they're publishing Conan again? Yeah, yeah. I was, like, really excited about that. Huge Howard fan. What do you see, uh, what do you see the, being the trends, uh, not, not necessarily in the... And the popularity popularity of certain genres, but the the trends in the in the publishing business itself in the next 10, 15, 20 years, because it seems like it seems like there are more and more there, there's a greater and greater pro proliferation of small publishing houses. That the large publishing houses are really having a, a harder time making making the type of money that they made in the past, and that the, there's a, a greater and greater proliferation of uh, of web publishing. And uh, and you know there have been some people who have said that you know that it's the wave of the future and that that actually making money selling books in the future is going to be difficult because of web publishing and that type of thing. I, I don't think it's well. It is know. it is an unsettled time and it's going to continue to be unsettled. It's it's like, it's like watching bugs being microwaved, uh, seeing seeing the, the companies scattered around trying to figure out how to <laughs> gather yeah, money yeah. from this from this new field. And it's not going to settle for a while. I, I'm not going to theorize because I don't really have the uh, the e economics chops to do so. But I don't see it settling anytime soon because there's they, the, the 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 big players don't yet know how to gather the money in. Some of the little players are figuring it out, and it's it's and the market is just changing every day. Yeah. yeah the uh, first of all trend I can almost guarantee is they will be paying less to the authors. <laughs> <laughs> that one seems pretty standard. Um, if you're talking about the self-publishing on the web, I think that the danger you run into there for the reader is a high noise-to-signal ratio. Hmm. That with a book coming from Tor or Bantam or somebody else, at least some of the garbage has been of the slush pile has been filtered out by the time you get to the Tor or Bantam or whoever book. Right. Uh, just trying to find something good on the web with people who are self-publishing is just going to be that harder, that much harder to find something good. It, it'll still there'll be good out there, right. but it's just going to be that much harder to find it. Yeah, I mean, to amplify Tim's point, um, anybody can call themselves an athlete, but there are a select few that can call themselves an Olympian, and that's that is the gatekeeper function that, that publishing has got right now. That they're separating out a lot of the wheat from the chaff. Um, one prediction I feel fairly confident in is that. Uh, publishing as we know it will stay behind the technology curve. They do not adapt technology at all well. They don't understand things. I, I remember when um, when Secret Atlas came out, um, they were going to put up on their website a, a selection uh, of, from the book. Now, you guys all know web pages cost nothing. You know, it's it's just it's just <coughs> space. Okay. Well, and so I, they they showed me the excerpt that they wanted to use, and it was only half of the first chapter. And I said, why are you doing that? Because the hook line is at the end of the chapter. Well, this is all the space we have. 
And I'm thinking, what? What are you talking about? You know, and it was it it made no sense whatsoever. But to them, a preview was say 120 lines. You know, and so and 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 they just weren't cognizant because they didn't understand programming a web page or anything like that. That just go on forever, or they could do it as a PDF document you can download that sort of thing. But um, Alex was going through the same thing with the Infinite Canvas. Yeah, yeah, and, and so. Conversely, I think what what is going to be exciting, and one of the things about podcasting that's, that's very very cool, is that just like having web pages, just like you know uh, that sort of thing, podcasting, having a web page, finding ways to get directly in touch with your audience, and letting them know that you've got a new book coming out, uh, it becomes very very important. In the past, authors did not have to publicize themselves. This was something that the publishers would publishers would do. Publishers would make sure your backlist stayed in print and that sort of thing. Now it's it's really up to us to make sure that our, our readers know that books are coming out, that it's going to be on sale on this day. Go to your bookstores, demand it, pre-order it on Amazon. You know, do whatever you can because that is that sort of information gets communicated back to our publishers, mm-hmm. which is how they decide to keep us employed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, self-publishing. One of the things which is interesting is the advance in technology is making self-publishing a lot more viable and 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 more economical. By the same token, then that forces us to not just be writers, but we've also got to be merchandisers. We've also yes. got to have a warehouse. We've also got to, you know. It's all blurring the lines of what is publishing. I mean, what you're doing, podcasting, is publishing. Yep. Us putting up websites, pushing our work, and putting up examples is publishing. It's all part of the same thing now, and it, it, everything's getting blurry. Yeah. I mean, do you guys have blogs or live journals or anything like that? Um, I don't have a blog because I, I think I would rather spend my time writing on, you know, what I'm doing, and what I'm doing, blogging. I'm doing the podcasting. Yeah, that's where I spend yeah, that time. Right. Yeah. I just put up a uh, live journal for Deadbacks. Nice. And uh, but uh, but I'm not not doing anything for you know Aaron Olson writer. Yeah. I do have a website that's that's fairly constantly updated though. Because yeah, I, I mean I found you know I, I just have a blast with the blogs and stuff like that. I keep my own and it's it's interesting oh, sure, um, the sure. response I get. And what are you about to say, Tim? No, I was, was going to say, you know, you're, you're digging at me on this thing, aren't you? No, no, no. no. <laughs> so, so in case you didn't know, the, uh, the interweb is a kind of a floating mass of things. It's, it's not real, but oh, it's something that people okay. can log on with a computer. No, I wasn't taking a shot at you because I think I you're, in, you're actually in a, in a very nice position because you, in, in starting doing the Star Wars books, you have become iconic in that sense. And so there's a lot of people that are paying attention to what goes on, and the publishers do actually publicize what yeah. you're doing. By the same token, if you did have a web page, then I'd be aware that several of the Dragonback books are out as opposed to <laughs> the one that I had seen. You know? and, that's really, and that's really the key. And, this is, and it, again, it's, it's an aspect of technology and, and how many publishers there are and how many titles they're pumping out. We all see this. You know, people go, um, hey, you know, what's your next book coming out? And I'll say, well, I get the second book in this series coming out. And they go, well, what about the last series? You know, was, was the trilogy done? No, that was actually four books. There was a fourth book. When did that come out? And it's been two years. And this guy, this person just has not been made aware, hasn't tracked it down. So there's so much stuff out there. If we don't have a place that we can go and make the rounds and say, you know, I mean, and we can do that. You know, if, if we've got a favorite author and we've bookmarked their website, you know, we go out there and, hey, what's new? You know, and, and, and so that, that ends up being really important. This has been proselytizing the Internet to Timothy Zahn. <laughs> 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 okay, let's, let's oh, I use it. I just, I, I just don't have... I'm not well, comfortable with self-advertising yet. Right, well, you're, I understand. you're a modest guy. I mean, no, you don't yeah. want to be out there promoting yourself. I mean, you're not, you're not even wearing one of your shirts. You're wearing a 501st shirt, which, yeah. of course, thanks to you, has become more legitimate. So, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, in a way, you really are promoting yeah, there yourself. You yeah. 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 Well, yeah. How do you guys feel about podcasting, since that's the topic du jour? Well, I haven't had much much interaction with it. I've, you know, I've done one or two podcasting interviews, and uh, that's about it. I can't really devote time to uh, to as Mike is to uh, to creating a, a podcasting uh, uh, source uh, because I have you know other things like the, like the movie taking up all my time. Uh, but I think it's I think it's pretty cool. I, I I long to see what it's going to become because right now it's very amorphous, uh, but watching it's fascinating. Yeah, I've done virtually nothing with it. I've seen some you know. Inter- interviews and things on the web. Up until now, uh, possibly in my defense, um, we have not been able to get a 
any kind, anything but dial-up at our house. Wow. We're a little out of the boonies. So any time we spend on the computer means we're on the phone line, nobody can get hold of us. So you know, kind of limit that a little bit. Sure. Uh, we're supposed to be getting something better soon, but we'll see what it just it happened in my area because I, I live in the boonies too. Yeah. We just, Tuesday, high speed finally. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, podcasting does really demand high speed because you got to be able yeah. to pull down those files and, and you know, on dial-up speeds, it's, you know, an hour for yeah. your first show you may or may not like. Yeah, yeah. five megs is, was 20 minutes when I was on dial-up, yeah. and I had a faster dial-up connection. And, I mean, I'd set it before I'd go to bed or eat dinner and exactly. you know, take exactly. an hour, and I'm like, okay, there's half a sh- half of a show. Yeah. And then you yeah. finally get it, like, oh, this sucks, a waste, waste of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 And especially now with uh, so many video casts being out there because there are quite a few... Um, almost like television series that are being created and released uh, via podcast, as well as the audio series mm-hmm. and everything like that. But these are specific, specifically made uh, television shows, and these are actually becoming much like Homestar Runner was, where they're becoming, or, or some of the web comics are actually becoming their own autonomous uh, organization, and they're actually making money. There are people that have been able to, you know, quit their day jobs and be sure. able to focus on either audio podcasting or video casting on a full-time basis. And even with the high speed, you're back again to the so, uh, noise-to-signal ratio. You need to be able to find the ones right. that are consistently which is, good. Which, which is why you know TSFPN came up, because what we ended up doing was becoming an elite directory. You don't get on our directory unless you get good sound quality, unless you've got good, interesting mm-hmm. material. Um, you know, we just we just aren't going to put you on. You're doing basically you're being tour. We're, we're, yeah, we're being the gatekeeper. <laughs> that's exactly well, it. Yeah, exactly. in a way, it's almost and like a unique. network. Yep, it really yep. is a network because you know that. Uh, I mean, actually, maybe that's a bad example because there is a lot of garbage on the networks nowadays on TV. But there is a place, and that was something that I really liked. That's why Star Wars Fanworks was originally created by Nathan Butler, where right. wanted to kind of con- just get all of the Star Wars audio together into one place. And with TSFPN, it's a little bit of a badge of honor to be able to say, <laughs> I'm a TSFPN, have that, right. that bumper at the, there you end, go. There the you end, go. end of the show. It's more than network, though. It's a brand name. Yeah. And that, that's the whole yeah. thing about our, our careers as writers and as yeah. something like podcasting. You have to become a brand name so that people will be able to look and say, okay, there's going to be a consistent level of quality yeah. here I can go to, as opposed to just searching around among everything that's out there. I, I'm going to go, I'm in a strange city. Do I go to Joe's Steakhouse here or the Outback? Right. You know, I know the quality of Outback. You know, Joe's could be very good or it's a crapshoot. And, and especially in Star Wars Publishing, barring Kevin J. Anderson. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> Okay, okay. I'm you, better, you better make sure the video is not part of the podcast. <laughs> no, no. Because he's precious on our faces. Yeah, it would not be good. Oh. <laughs> and you see what of the week. What was that about backlash from, yeah. the, from the legions of fans? Wow. Hey, we don't have Janine here to sing, so we've got to get some notes. <laughs> There's no Janine singing or quoting from Blazing Saddles or whatever. It's a good quote from this time. So, you know, you know, I, you know I, haven't, I haven't read a lot of... Uh, of the Star Wars uh, fiction, to be honest with you. I mean, I do a lot Let's of reading. Let's meet him up. Hell yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you know hold it. I don't care if you didn't buy if you, if you bought it. You don't have to oh, read it. Yeah, <laughs> my, wife, my wife owns every every Star Wars Close book. Close enough. But, but he, they do have some of your other books yeah, besides uh, the Star Wars. But I, w- I will say, I have the only books that I have read in the Star Wars universe were by you three gentlemen, and I enjoyed them all immensely. Um, and I, I, my wife is a huge fan of the of the X Wing series, and and she thinks that that you've managed to 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 write the the uh, the banter between squadron mates incredibly well, which I agree with. I mean, having been in a squadron myself, um, and in an active military squadron, I you know that is how we interact, and it's amazing to see it in a book, especially knowing that you've never really you know been in that situation yourself. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and Mr. Zahn, I, I love your books, um, it, honestly, and they're, they're my favorite. So there's a little, you know, battle going on there. So, you know, my wife and I, my wife and I had little butt heads there, but it's, it's well, Mike nice. is do, but Mike is doing the small units, the the tight knit fighter squadron. With Thrawn, I'm doing more of the overall tactics and strategy and such. So there's really no conflict. Well, no, there's not. There's not. But, <laughs> but I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm Look, a very, if, if one of us if you don't was like responsible for a divorce, we would be so proud. You know, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true. If you don't you like know? what Janine likes, she doesn't like you. You know, it's, it's, it's true. It's true. You don't, you don't understand the, you don't understand the, uh, the severity of my wife's belief system. 
<laughs> so and so she's been issued automatic weapons. And she's in Iraq keeping us safe. I'm, I'm, just, I'm seeing a positive side here. Okay? You want me on that line. You need me on that line. That's right. You can't handle the truth. We, we can make her our priestess, you see. That's, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. Come home for dinner. You can't handle the meatloaf. <laughs> now, I have to say that uh, I have read all of the books, especially the Star Wars ones. I'm. I'm a person who doesn't like to venture too far out of the universes that I already know because then I have to understand the universe and get it in my head and there's just too much other stuff up there already. But I have to say, the audiobook of... Um, I can't think of which one, but it I is Jedi? one of yours. That's not I, Jedi. Um, I'm thinking... It, you wrote one of the X-Wing. Oh, I wrote, I wrote five of the X-Wing. Yeah, that, I figured, yeah that's right. Um, it's... <laughs> <laughs> first one, I, I listen to that more than just about any other audiobook, and, you know, I, I do a lot when I'm, you know, doing chores or mowing the sure, lawn or whatever. Sure. Now, my question is, with you being into, so heavily into audio, especially now with the podcasting, how do you feel that your audiobook has, trans or for your book, has translated to an audiobook? And I also want to pose a question to you, gentlemen, also. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, one, of the, one of the neat things about it, because in, in, I listened to all of them when I got copies of them, I listened to, to them all while I was on bike rides and stuff. And um, obviously, they felt that their market was one that was listening to this more as a radio adventure. Uh, and so it's you know, less of characterization, more of action, more of sound effects, more of where they can put the music in and that sort of stuff. So they did, they did cut things out, but I thought they actually did a really good job of adapting them. Uh, when they got to I, Jedi, unfortunately, that was uh, 166,000 words that they had to cut down into you know, the three hours. Uh, as opposed to the other books, which were 100,000 words that they had to cut down. And so, I Jedi, they left some stuff hanging, and it was absolutely hilarious. So, I mean, I felt bad for the abridger, but not really that bad. <laughs> I, was, um, I was pleased, in, to one extent, with the audio adaptations of, of mine. Uh, they had Anthony Held, from, uh, he's on Boston Legal now, I believe, yeah, yeah. As, the, um, as, the, uh, as the reader. Uh, and he did a, he did a you know, fine job with the vocals. But I was, at that point, still so in tune with the novels I had written that they would come to a portion that was uh, that was excised, and I'd be I'd be listening along, and bam, I went into a, into this vacuum where I knew what was supposed to be there, and yet we were somewhere else doing something else, yeah. and it was actually very unsettling. So uh, I could not actually listen to all of them. I, I listened to some of the first one, and that was all I could take. Not that they did a bad job; it's just that it's difficult for one who is intimately familiar with the original novel to listen to the abridgment. And I've never heard any of my audios for exactly the same reason. <laughs> I know they're going to cut a lot out, and I know it's going to be unsettling, and it's going to drive me nuts. Well, see, and I think the reason why I was able to get through it is when I have a tolerance for stuff like that. But two, um, I knew that the books, especially especially Wedges Gamble, I knew that that one was really tightly woven. Three plot lines were woven together through the whole chase scene, through the middle of it and stuff, and I knew they were going to lose one part of that. But because they all interconnected back and forth, I was just waiting to see how he'd do it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, can he do it? Can he? No. Okay. Yeah, he left that whole thing out. Okay. <laughs> you know, that was instead of trying to find instead of trying to fine tune it, he just said, no, this line goes. <laughs> it's like, okay, well then that makes no sense. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. So I count it as a victory for me. <laughs> I win. You probably sit around and watch them do body work in your car too, don't you? <laughs> no, I never get. Now, I would do that. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Same reason. Watch yeah. the video when you, when you get back surgery, that type of thing. Yeah, that's no, fine. No, 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 no. no look, I, you know, I play soccer on the weekends, and you know, so I'm used to getting pounded around and stuff like that. But every so often, when you you're playing as players who are much better than you are, but you burn them badly and you put a goal in, it's great fun. You know, you know you're going to get killed later on, but <laughs> for that one shining moment, it's okay. Yeah, so. this is a great year for soccer fans. It, it, that is, this that is, is going to be a great year. Yep, looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, World Cup. This guys on my team are already going. Okay, the games are starting at four in the morning, so be over here at three thirty. Yeah. The last thing I'd like to say is that I, I really, I really appreciate uh, um, you three guys um, having the interview with us. Uh, you gentlemen are, are some of my favorite authors, and uh, I am a, I'm a huge sci-fi fan, a huge fantasy fan, and, and I've experienced hours of enjoyment reading your books, and, and well, I really you. appreciate okay, that. I'm not as big of a sci-fi fan, but I make time for your guys' books. Let's put it that way. Well, that's always good to hear. <laughs>
Over to quiet you. one. <laughs> <laughs> Beauchamp, quiet. So that's going to be mean. You're the mass murderer, right? No, he's, 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 he's Harpo. It's yeah, true. It's just <laughs> a, he just uh-huh. he just doesn't have enough. Uh, he just doesn't have enough go juice in him yet. He'll, he'll get there. Have <laughs> yeah. two liter back in the oven. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do. So again, okay, uh, just take a quick moment and uh, plug uh, any contact information, website, whatever. Well, and, people um, can reach me at uh, at AaronAlston.com. It's not too hard to remember. And also, Deadbacks will be uh, will be updated at Deadbacks.com. And my next novel, uh, Betrayal, first in the Legacy of the Four series, comes out on May 30th. Yeah. Uh, Stormwolf.com is my website. If you go to uh, TSFPN.com, you can find my podcast, which is called The Secrets. So anybody who's listening to this obviously knows what to do with podcasts. So <laughs> I have a post office box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how 20th century. <laughs> Pony Express. Yes, he's a science fiction author. He lives in the future. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's already waiting for the internet to fall, mm-hmm. and then he's, he's already got his yeah, strong right, right. When, when the uh, uh, electromagnetic pulse you know, wipes out all yeah. computers, I'll yeah. be sitting pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks. And now, something that didn't fit. One of the handful of panels I did go to was the podcasting panel. Here's where it's odd. First of all, bad placement, StellarCon. You never put anything up against the costume contest. However, there were 13 people in that panel, which is pretty good size for a panel, but especially when going up against the costume contest. So for everybody who attended, thank you for coming out. I know podcasting. The shortest part of these panels is always the part that is truly about podcasting. That's the part about the RSS and the XML stuff. It's the distribution method of how you get the MP3 files out to your audience. Now, the audio part has been around forever. I've been doing it for near on three years, before Curry started his reign of terror as the podfather. Aside from the radio guys, the ones that use professional equipment like Stackpole, Morris, and the Dragon Page guys, I typically have the most experience in a room full of podcasters. No offense to any of these guys, their stuff sounds great, and they have the content to match. But it was tougher before the days of swapping promos, podcast alleys, and directories. I know how to do this stuff without nice equipment. I've won awards while using crap products. Though for some reason, myself and Requiem of the Outcast always ends up on the outside, especially on panels. I have to sit in the audience and sit on my hands to keep from jumping up and trying to add something that they didn't know about or didn't realize. But I was paid a huge compliment by Patrick McLean of the Shaunaki and Murr from GeekFu, two of my personal podcast heroes. I apologize to them about jumping in too much from the audience. The audience should never appear to know as much as the panelists. Their job is to soak it all in, otherwise they'd be on the panel. They told me I should have been up there. Now, not in a condescending way, but in an honest way. It really meant a lot. I guess that's why I take my mention in Podcasting for Dummies so seriously. It is so far the most mainstream place we've been mentioned. That means a lot. It's a form of validation, I suppose. To and Patrick, and to T. Morris, and of course, Evo Terra, thank you. Yes, Evo, I am still working on putting stuff together for winging it. Really. Well, guys, that pretty much wraps up the show. Oh, he... I forgot about something. Something that makes me go a little goo-goo. The dolls. You know, I still don't know what their gimmick is. I always miss them. From what I can tell, they wear little pieces of paper, buttons, on them that say, push me. You give them a dollar, and then you push the button, and they'll perform for you. Not like that, guys. They'll do little little tricks, little dances, things. It's really amazing to see. It's something kind of, uh, there's an old school feel to it of a, of a street performer. I guess it's the truest sense of the term. They're a convention hallway performer. But these gals are gorgeous, beautiful girls. And very talented in what they do. And I tell you, a lot of times they get a bum rap for what they do because you don't quite understand what they're doing at first. But they have cornered the market on something that is so amazing to see. So guys, if you see three gorgeous gals, 
standing over by the side with little buttons that say push me on their stomachs or any other body part, throw them a couple bucks, and then push their button and watch the magic. Well, folks, that is finally the end of the show. Please see the show notes uh, at requiemoftheoutcast.com so you can find links to all the people that reeked of awesomeness. I do have a few thank yous I want to send out. Obviously, Aaron Austin, Mike Stackpole, Timothy Zahn, The Nth Degree, dude, parties always rock! Remy and Jax from Sick Productions, you guys are so awesome. They put me in a webcomic, yeah! In two panels, yes! Mer Lafferty, Geek Foo Action Grip, you are totally Airwolf. Patrick McLean, dude, you want to my podcast hero, man. One of the greatest storytellers you will ever meet. Con Carolinas, Ron, you know I love you, man. Looking forward to the convention coming up first weekend in June. The VTS FFTS. I'm sorry the party didn't turn out quite as freaky as I was hoping or dreading, but you guys are awesome. Thank you for introducing me to the Venture Brothers. Anthony Karnowski and Citizen X. You guys want some good gaming mood music? Check out CitizenXEnsemble.com. It'll also be in the show notes. Anthony is a hell of a writer. He's a hell of a filmmaker. He's the guy that made Always the Quiet Ones. And pretty soon he's going to have a kick-ass audiobook. Okay, maybe not pretty soon. I've got a lot of stuff I've got to do before I can finish it, but you get the idea. T. Morris, Tony Ruggiero, two of the finest gentleman authors I've ever met, and they're going to be throwing one of the kick-ass cons of the year, Raven Con. It's coming up. The lovely CD girl. I know one of these days I'm actually going to buy a CD from you. And that's CD as in compact disc, not CD, S-E-E-D, like dirty. No, no, no. The Shadow Morgue Group. I'm looking forward to getting a bunch of movies from you guys for the $20 Film Festival. The beautiful Kyle, one of the great ladies that gave us the Ubercon party and many moments with the Mitch Hedberg wannabe. And finally, Nuri, the lovely young lady from the Artist Alley podcast. Never had so much fun at Awake. And, of course, Davey Beauchamp as the Beave. She's on a mission to kill the man who loves her. Why? Because he's an idiot. Nina Kimberly, The Merciless. Coming soon. following takes place between it was a dark and stormy night and what would happen next only time will tell this is Bauer Jack this is CTU where are you we need you in the field I can't I am in the middle of a severe plot twist Jack what are you talking about what I am talking about is my daily word count my goals and character development and my possibilities in getting published Jack your country needs you you should be in the field no I should be writing just like Mara Lafferty tells me on her podcast. She gives writing tips, personal anecdotes, and even features published authors in interviews. It's a totally airwolf podcast. Jack, you can't be... Hold on. My position has been compromised. Repeat, my position has been compromised. We'll send back... No! Send me an editor! Jack, you're pinned down. You should be returning fire. No! I should be listening to Mara's podcast. I should be writing! Time is short. Subscribe to Murr Lafferty's I Should Be Writing at IShouldBeWriting.com. Your life and the fate of the free world may depend on it. StarWarsFanWorks.com, the home of Star Wars fan audio on the Internet. It's your home for Star Wars fan audio genre news, a comprehensive catalog of fan-made Star Wars radio shows, parody tales, and serious audio dramas. With behind-the-scenes features, a message board, reviews, tutorials, convention coverage, an internet movie database-style directory of the entire Star Wars fan audio community, and the only fan audio community-recognized Star Wars Fan Audio Academy Awards held each year. StarWarsFanWorks.com. Fandom has a whole new sound. We're back with another exciting installment of Interview with a Zombie. 
My guest today is the zombie formerly known as Bob. Bob, before the break, you were telling us about your love for the sci-fi podcast network, tsfpn.com. Why, yes, Bob, it certainly does have something for everyone. Well, of course you're a busy zombie. I mean, who isn't these days? That's why you're glad TSFPN has collected the best in podcasting all in one convenient place. Not until after you've finished your interview. Well, there you have it, folks. Straight from the zombie's mouth. TSFPN.com. The place for out-of-this-world entertainment. For years, sci-fi fans have toiled at making fan films, podcasts, and goofy flash animations to obscure techno music. They work hard. Give them their props. Watch. Listen and talk back. <clears throat> At planetfandom.com. <laughs> 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 